1 Samuel chapter 16 if you have your Bibles or otherwise digital devices, feel free to follow along um, or it will be on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the NLT, the New Living. I'm sorry that there's probably a different version up there. Lick's going to really quickly look for it for me. He's a champion. 1 Samuel chapter 16 Now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I've selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his son and invited them to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord sees things the way, doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadad to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, Neither is this one the, Lord, the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. That's all I'm going to read for now. I'll just invite Josh now to come and bring the message for us. just bow our heads and pray before we start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and Lord, we thank you for your word that we can read it and understand it, and Lord, we just pray right now as we come to your word today that you'll speak your truth into our hearts and our lives, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Last week, if you might have remembered, uh, Pastor David uh, mentioned one of his favorite verses that not many of us would have heard before. He said, To obey is better than to sacrifice. 
And today we look at a chapter where we find a verse that is very familiar to most of us. And it's verse 7 where it says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man sees on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And one way of looking at this verse is this truth that what looks good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. We learnt this truth in architecture. I don't remember much of the lectures that we sat through at university, but there was a group of lectures that I remember very well. And these, this series of lectures was about structural failures. And we went through a number of massive faux pas and mistakes of engineers and builders um, and stuff that they did wrong because architects usually don't make mistakes. During the subject, uh, we looked at case study upon case study of buildings, bridges and structures that looked fine on the outside but were deeply flawed on the inside. In 2009, in about June, we heard the story of a 13-story building in Shanghai. It just collapsed 90 degrees to the ground like a domino. An inspection of the building saw that many of the structural columns were actually hollow on the inside and they forgot to put reinforcements in them. All the structures that we looked at, they, was, they looked fine, but they failed in the end. What looked good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. As we've looked at the last three chapters, we've seen uh, Saul's failure upon failure. And I don't think we can look at Saul at an arm's length and make him out as a bad guy. I think looking at Saul should remind us of ourselves. As I look around this morning, we all look fine on the outside. But whether we like to admit it or not, we're all flawed on the inside. We all do wrong, we sin, we rebel against God. We are all in this hopeless state without Jesus. We're deeply flawed. And the punishment for this Rebelling against God is death. The chapter that we look at today, we see that amid Saul's failure, God provides. He provides a king. God sends his spirit. And God works out his plans. We read that God looks at the heart. God sees what we don't see. God looked at Saul's heart and his disobedience. And he rejected Saul. And he looks at David and chooses David as the future king. I believe this chapter stirs up great hope in those who are God's people. This chapter is about God providing his king. It's through David, and more significantly through David's greatest son, Jesus Christ, that God works out his plan to wipe our sins clean. He wipes clean our deep flaws, and he gives us hope in our hopelessness and assurance of new life to come. Uh, as I was reading this chapter through the week, it was a really interesting chapter to look at. And I probably made it more interesting by starting way too late for my own comforts. This chapter is made up of one very well-known passage, which is David's anointing. And then a less known, well-known passage, which we didn't read, but verse 14 to 23. And actually most preachers and commentators 
totally skip this passage over. There are lots of little details in uh, this chapter that we'll quickly mention without getting too sidetracked from the main points. Uh, this chapter is really fascinating because it's the first time that David is introduced in the Bible. It's the foundation for God's kingship line, the dynasty or the trajectory that points to Jesus as our true eternal king. If we miss this observation, I think we miss the major points in this passage. David looks forward to our King Jesus. So I split the passage today into three points and three sections. The first is God sees and provides, verse 1 to 12. God sends his spirit, verses 13 and 14. And God works out his plan, which is 15 to the end of the chapter. I believe this passage would have given the Israelites much hope. Saul was flawed, rejected and fallen. But God was still working. In fact, God provides a new king, his king, a king for himself. And God has provided us today, his king in Jesus. He's worked through Jesus, our king and our saviour. So let's have a look at this passage. The first section is God sees and provides, reading from verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. The passage begins on a rather sad and somber note, where Samuel is mourning or grieving over Saul's rejection and God comes to Samuel and gives Samuel hope a new king God's chosen king the ESV will further emphasize this and say it's a king for God himself if we remember back in chapter 8 and 9 Saul was the people's king a product of the people's cry for a king this new king would be God's chosen king. But as we keep reading on in verses 2 and 3, we see that Samuel doesn't respond in hope, but he responds firstly in fear. He says, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Saul was in fear. He was in fear of Saul's response. Probably the whole idea of anointing a new king while Saul was still around. And also knowing that the route from Ramah to Bethlehem was right through Saul's city of Gibeah. Note that God's solution here for fear is to obey God. As we read God's instructions here, many of us might be curious in asking, Uh, If God is telling Samuel to lie here, is God really being truthful and morally right in what he instructs Samuel to say? This isn't the main point in the passage, but I'll try to address it quickly. Firstly, God commands Samuel to say this. If God commands it, and he's the ruler of the entire universe, then it would make a lot of sense just to obey God's commands. Secondly, God doesn't 
makes Samuel lie here. Samuel isn't forced to speak anything falsely. This just makes a broad statement about what's happening that doesn't go into every single bit of detail. It's like if I said, I'm going to Garden City and I'm not lying or deceiving if I end up going to KC or Macca's, which are all conveniently at Garden City. So let's go back to the passage. And in verse 4 and 5 we read, of Saul, of Samuel completely obeying God's instructions. And this is a big contrast to Saul in the previous chapters. We read that the elders of the town tremble as they meet Samuel. We're not told why, but I can imagine two reasons. Firstly, it's like when a pastor makes an unexpected visit or phone call, and we always automatically think, is there something wrong? Have I done something wrong? Prophets often brought God's judgment to God's people in the Old Testament. Or secondly, it could have been that they'd heard about Saul's rift with Samuel because of God's rejection of Saul. The people in Bethlehem didn't want to get involved. As we read on, the sacrifice goes ahead and Jesse's sons are paraded in front of Samuel in verses 6 to 10. The first guy is Eliab, Jesse's oldest son, and he must have been a standout guy to impress Samuel. I imagine Eliab to be a good bloke, much like the four that we saw earlier in that slide. I think you've been like Saul in chapter 9 verse 2, tall, handsome, impressive, and Samuel would have been grabbing his flask ready to anoint Eliab. But God quickly stops him and he says, Do not consider or do not be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And these same four words, I have rejected him, were used in Saul in chapter 15. And it's in this context that, uh, in this passage that we read this often quoted verse, The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's through this statement and in this context that we see why Saul and Eliab were rejected. Often our application to this verse is that we need to look at the heart. This is true and this is right, but I think we probably need to push it a step further. In verses 8, 9 and 10 as we read on, I don't think Samuel just put on some special glasses and changed the way he looked at things. Samuel still relied on God to find out which son was God's chosen king. Only the Lord can truly look at the heart. And Samuel had to rely on, rely on and trust God's sight and provision to choose David. And this is the first section in this passage. God sees and provides. God sees into the heart of Saul to find a heart of disobedience and rejects Saul as king. And God saw in the heart of David, though young, though unexpected and not even invited to this sacrifice, God provides for Israel a new king in David. And this new line of kings that begins here with David points us to David's greater king 
and God's ultimate provision for humanity in the King Jesus Christ. God sees into our hearts and we are all deeply flawed. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew about God, referring to all people, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were hardened. We're all deeply flawed on the inside. And without Jesus, we're all in a hopeless state. But just as God provides David and would eventually give the nation of Israel much hope, God provides us, Jesus, and gives us today much hope. It's through Jesus that God provides us with a King and a Saviour who took away our deep flaws on the cross. And this is something that we need to trust God for because it's only through Jesus that we are saved and we have hope and assurance of life. Nothing we can do can earn salvation. Only trusting in Jesus and the free gift that God provides for us in. So just as Samuel had to stay close to God and trust and rely on God's sight and provision, we also need to ask ourselves, do you rely and trust on God's sight and provision? Or do you, do you depend on your own sight and strength? If we're not trusting and relying on God for our salvation and in our everyday walks with Christ, then we're walking blind and like, in, like Samuel in verse 6, we'll only see the outward appearance. Over the past few weeks as I've been sitting in these sermons about Saul, it's really challenged me to think about my outward appearance and asking myself, is my heart in the right place? Am I close with God? Am I worshipping God? Am I talking to God? Am I listening to God? Am I doing God's work? On the outward, I may seem fine, but I had to ask myself, am I doing those things? How did Samuel trust in God's sight and provision? He talked to God. He listened to God. And all through verse 8 to 10, he re relied on God's sight and provision. God sees and provides in David, he provides us in Jesus. And this gives us great hope as we trust and rely on God. The second section that we look at is God sends his spirit, verse 13 and 14. And this really looks at these, this hinge verse, these two verses between these two rather different stories in this chapter. And we pick up the story in verse 13 if you read it, it says that once Samuel gets the all clear from God, he anoints David, and then the Spirit rushes on David. And the discussion about God's Spirit really begins here in verse 13. It's been a really great time reading Samuel because the writer of this book is a great storyteller. He uses a lot of contrasts and comparisons to convey his truths. For example, if you remember back a couple months, we see Samuel the boy contrasted with the sons of Eli back in chapter 2 and 3. 
we see the great story about Dagon and the Ark in chapter 5. We read about in the past chapters Saul and Jonathan, Saul and Samuel, and today we look at this contrast between Saul and David. And here in this, these two verses, uh, in these two different passages, we read this contrast of the Spirit rushing upon David in verse 13 and then departing from Saul in verse 14. In the Old Testament, God sends His Spirit on His servants, on prophets, judges, mediators and kings. And in 13, we see the Spirit rushes on David. And this shows, firstly, God's intention to work through David. And secondly, God's presence with David. If we look forward in verse 18, it says David is described by saying that the Lord is with him. And this anointing here really symbolizes the beginning of God's work in and through David. And this also points us to Jesus. As we read in the Gospels, the Spirit comes down and anoints him in the beginning of his ministry on earth. Uh, my housemate is uh, at Bible college in first year and he's studying through the beginning of Mark and in the shower he's actually stuck up the first two chapters of Mark. So every day this week I've been reading the Spirit coming down on Jesus when I have a shower. And this point also points to us today. The New Testament reminds us that we're clothed with the Spirit of God if we've accepted Jesus as Lord. We're taught that the Spirit of God enters us and lives in us. And as with David and Jesus, if God sends His Spirit to us, then we're also to join in with God's work in our lives. Like our Connect Studies are titled, God wants us to walk in the Spirit that God has sent us. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus today, let me ask you, are you joining in with God's work in this world, in this church and in your life? Are you walking in the ways of the Spirit of God? Or are you walking in the ways of the world? Are you living your life for God and his purposes? Or are you living for yourself or something else like Saul's? One of my pet peeves on the road is when people don't turn on their headlights at night. And I always wonder how it actually feels like to drive around at night without headlights. And note, I did not try this. But I reckon it'd be pretty dangerous. There'd be a lack of sight and direction. And I think it'd be similar to walking in life without following the Spirit of God. We get sidetracked easily. We lose direction. We find ourselves in danger. God has given us His Spirit and He wants us to walk in the ways of His Spirit. We see that Saul, he didn't understand this. He didn't walk in the Spirit of God and that's why he was rejected as king by God. And in verse 14 as we read on, this is confirmed as the Spirit of God departs from Saul. And God instead sends a harmful, evil and tormenting spirit on Saul. Now this evil spirit business opens up many curious questions about God. 
Does God really send evil spirits on people? Why does God send evil spirits? I thought about it a bit and my best answer was ask Pastor Darrell. <laughs> Just joking. I considered it. <laughs> does God really send evil spirits on people? As we read this passage, the answer is obviously yes. Why does God send evil spirits? I thought God was a good and loving God and doesn't do that kind of stuff. Again, this is not the main point in this passage, but it's a side question that really needs to be addressed. Firstly, God is good. God always does what is good and loving, but he also does what is right, which is God's justice. In the previous chapters, we see Saul continually disobeying God and refusing to take God's instructions and commands seriously. God's justice means that there is judgment for those who disobey him. Here in this passage, God's judgment on Saul is to give him over to evil. It's like in chapter 2, where God hands Eli's sons over to the devil. And if we remember back, Pastor David did a great job in explaining this passage. It's really a terrifying thought from Saul's example to know that God can hand us over to evil. And this should move us to seeing David's greatest son, Jesus, and really treasuring the grace that he gives us as the only hope and assurance of being counted free from God's judgment. It's a refreshing reminder for us to walk in the Spirit of God. God has sent it to us and he wants us to obey God, to seek God's will and to do God's work in our lives. And that's only done through God's Spirit. So in this section, God's Spirit departs from Saul and rests instead on David. We too, as God's people, have God's Spirit. God sends it to us and he makes it available to us if we believe in Jesus. So are you joining in God's work in this world? Are you walking with the Spirit of God or the walking in the ways of this world? Now we come to the last section, which is God works his plan. And it looks at verses 15 to 23. We've seen in this chapter that God chooses and provides David. God sends his Spirit on David. And in the, in the rest of this chapter, we read of the circumstances of how David the newly anointed king, enters the royal courts of the king. We read in verse 23 of David relieving Saul by playing the liar. But I think there's something more and something bigger that God is trying to show us through this story. It's a simple yet profound and hope-stirring truth. God is sovereign. God is in control, just like Daryl's prayer before. He's orchestrating all circumstances and situations. God works his plan, which is the title of this last section. What does Saul invite? Who does Saul invite into his royal courts? On his own instruction, on his own free will. He invites the king, David, the newly anointed king. Saul doesn't know that he's inviting the future king 
into his royal palace. But God does. And God begins the motions here of lifting up David as king over Israel. God is in control. God works his plans at all times, in all circumstances. And it won't be stopped by Saul. In fact, it would be helped by Saul and sinful men. And as we look at this truth, we think of another story where another group of sinful people and what they did was another anointed king, who's Jesus. What did they do? They got rid of him. They put him to death. Yet that in itself was fulfilling God's plan. God works his plan. God raised Jesus up. God triumphs over death. God works his plan of salvation from raising David as king to raising up David's greater son, Jesus, from the dead. And it won't be stopped by men. Again, this section gives us great hope. God reminds us that he's in control. He's working out his plans in the world. God knows what circumstances and situations you may be in, and however hopeless it may seem for you. But know that God is working in your life, whether you can see it or not. The question is, will you acknowledge God working his plans in your life, or will you ignore God and his working? Knowing that God is working in my life has given me great hope that no matter what happens, good or bad, the highs and the deep lows in the pits, knowing that God is in control and he's working something out, if you know that God is working his plans in your life, it should give you much hope, it should give you certainty and a peace that no matter what life throws at you, God is in control. And know that God has already worked in your life. He's worked in the world in the mightiest of ways through Jesus. Jesus died and rose again to give us great hope and assurance of eternal life as we live in this world around us that is deeply flawed. So just to summarise as we close, we, we began with this statement, what looks good on the outside may be deeply flawed on the inside. Firstly, God sees and provides. Do you rely and trust on God's sight and provision? Or do you depend on your own sight and provision? God saw Saul's deep flaws and provided Israel with God's own king, David. And today, God sees our deep flaws and he provides us with God's own King Jesus. We need to trust and depend on him for our salvation and our day-to-day -day lives as we live for him. Secondly, God sends his Spirit. Are you walking in the Spirit of God? Are you walking in the ways of the world? God sends his Spirit on David, God's King. And God also sends his Spirit to us as God's people and God wants us to walk in obedience to him to submit to God's rule and his will in our lives and thirdly God works his plans will you acknowledge God 
working his plans in your life? Or will you ignore him? God works his plans in this passage by beginning to instate David as the king. It's no fluke and no coincidence that David enters the royal courts of the king. God is working out his plans. And God is still working out his plans today in the world, in your life. Will you acknowledge this and join in God's plan? So in conclusion, I think all of this brings us great hope. God's working through David points to us of how God has worked through Jesus. No matter how deeply flawed you are, no matter what circumstance or situation you may be in today, no matter how hopeless you feel in your life, God sees you and God has provided for you eternally in Jesus, God's risen King. God has sent his spirit to you and God is still at work today. David's greatest son, Jesus, brings us the refreshing news of hope in a hopeless world. God has provided us his king, king of the world. Who's the king of your life? Is it the king that God has provided? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that reminds us so much of your work in this world and the hopes that it brings to us as your people. Lord, I pray that you help us to trust you instead of relying on ourselves. Help us to walk in your spirit that you have sent us so that we can join in the work that you are doing in this world. And help us, most importantly, to see Jesus as the King that you have provided for us. Remind us of the assurance of salvation that Jesus provides for us when the times get tough for us in this world. We are so thankful that it's through Jesus that you rule and you work your plans in the world and in our lives. Lord, help us to put our hope in Jesus as the King. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If anything this morning has um, touched you, if God's spoken to you and uh, you need to talk something over with someone or, or need some prayer, we're going to leave this front area open. Feel free to come and either sit in a chair or stand and uh, we have some people who are ready and willing and happy to stand with you and pray with you. Uh, we're going to sing one final song. Uh, we'll try and keep it down a bit so you can hear what's going on. And then following that morning tea will be served in the courtyard. Would you stand with us?